This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. The economy is going to pieces here in America, but Jews are still driving their Cadillacs and living in their gated communities. And they also have power. That's a clip from Jew bashing, the new anti-Semitism. Documentary filmmaker Martin Himmel traveled the world to examine the disturbing rise of anti-Semitism in many countries and found some of the most shocking hatred right here in North America. Martin Himmel will tell us more a little later on. Plus, this weekend marks the 10th anniversary of the restoration of an iconic Toronto landmark, the Carlou. I'll be joined by co-owner Mark Robert to hear the history of the legendary art modern masterpiece on the seventh floor of the old Eaton flagship. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. How often do you pray? Chances are it's a lot more than your children or grandchildren. A recent survey by the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago found that more than two-thirds of Americans 50 and older say they pray at least once a day, and that compares to just over half of Americans under 50. When it comes to actually going to church, only 45% of Americans say they go every week. And here in Canada, that number drops significantly. Just 20% of Canadians make a weekly visit to their church. Would you like to see nutritional information on the menu when you go out to eat? It's a recommendation that's being made by the Toronto Board of Health to the provincial government. The law would apply to chains with 10 or more restaurants. The city's chief medical officer of health, Dr. David McEwen, says if people saw the calorie and salt content of restaurant meals, they'd be more likely to opt for healthier choices. Experts say many Canadians consume more than twice the recommended daily level of sodium. If the law is passed, Toronto would be the first city in Canada to adopt mandatory menu labeling. New York City has been doing it for five years. The 49-year-old U.S. First Lady appears to be at least partially driving a new trend in plastic surgery among middle-aged and older women. Michelle Obama's beautifully toned upper arms have inspired an increase in a procedure which involves having fat sucked out of the back of the arm and tucking that excess into the armpit. Since the turn of the millennium in the U.S., upper arm lifts are up more than 4,000%, with more than 15,000 procedures last year. When the American Society of Plastic Surgeons polled American women, asking which celebrities' arms would they most like to have, Michelle Obama and Jennifer Aniston were the top choices. This week, we lost Deanna Durbin, a Canadian-born child star of the 30s and 40s. 
Deanna Durbin made her Hollywood film debut at the age of 15 with another child star, Judy Garland, in a 1936 short film called Every Sunday. Three years later, she and Mickey Rooney received special Academy Awards for significant contributions in bringing to the screen the spirit and personification of youth. By 1947, the Winnipeg-born Durbin was the highest-paid star in the United States. But she was dissatisfied with the roles she was being given and retired from the business a year later at the age of 27. In 1958, Durbin told reporters she was never happy making pictures. She lived the rest of her life very privately in France with her husband. Deanna Durbin was 91. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Most of us believe this was a scourge of the past. And for those of us who live in Canada, it is shocking to hear vicious, hateful, anti-Semitic rhetoric spoken openly in many parts of the world and on the Internet. Incidents of violence and vandalism against Jews were also up 30% in one year alone, 2012, and that's just in the Western world. This is what prompted producer-director Martin Himmel to make his four-part documentary series, Jew Bashing, The New Antisemitism, which documents this disturbing trend with interviews like this. What we should do is exterminate them. Their behavior over 2,000 years has shown that when you kick them out, they always end up being let back in basically by the Christians and they cause the same problems. Well. Call me a racist, evil, Nazi hater, whatever. I want my kind of people to survive and prosper. People German descended, blue eyes, good solid people who built you know, nice towns like this. I want them to prosper. I don't want the Jews to prosper. They're attacking me. I'm fighting back. His name is Alex Linder and he runs the Vanguard News Network out of Kirkville, Missouri. It is a white supremacist, anti-Semitic website with a huge following. I interviewed Martin Himmel in front of a live audience after a special screening here at the Zoomerplex. Thank you, Martin, for that really eye-opening, scary and incredible (laughs) film. It's not easy television, that's for sure. No, it isn't. (laughs) So I want to get back to this business about how you draw the line between somebody who is anti-Israel or doesn't like the policies of the state of Israel and somebody who is anti-Semitic. Because um, there are people who argue, they're saying, you know, I can't criticize Israel or do anything about it without being called an anti-Semite. I think there are several basic differences. For one, If someone were to say, well, I think that Israel's occupation is brutal, or I believe that the occupation is going on too long, or the occupation doesn't serve Israel's interests, and that there are tactics there that are violating human rights, I wouldn't call such a person necessarily an anti-Semite at all. Uh, If someone was to say that uh, Jewish settlements are violating international law, and that uh, Jewish settlements uh, deny Palestinian land rights, it's an opinion, it's it's an argument, it's not anti-Semitic. But what happens is with those opinions is that many anti-Semites hitch a ride with it. And suddenly Israel's occupation is uh, basically extinction, genocide. It's wiping out entire people. It's all buzzwords from the Holocaust. And it's not just a coincidence. Those buzzwords are basically saying, well, the same thing the Nazis did to you, you're doing now. You're a bunch of Nazis. So that, that in my mind, is anti-Semitic. Another classic example is, uh, is when some will come out and say, well, any aspiration by Jews to have a homeland is racist. But 
French having a homeland is not racist. Palestinians certainly not having a homeland is not racist. Any other nation can have a homeland is not racist, but if you're a Jew and you want a homeland and it's racist, that's anti-Semitism. Another one is how Jews collude with uh, Israel to manipulate the entire world so that it supports Israel. These are concepts that were used uh, in the early 20th century by the Nazis and others as Jewish domination, collusion. Uh, and so I think those, those are the big differences. And, and to sum it all up, I think that anti-Semitism often hitches a ride on anti-Zionism. I'd like to talk a little bit about the internet anti-Semitism and some of those really incredible interviews that you did in, uh, in small town America. First of all, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you actually got those interviews? Uh, what did those people know about you and, and what were the risks involved? Well, to do anything in journalism today, you have to factor the internet in everything. You've got to have 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 15-year-olds working with you all the time if you really want to do something like this. It's, it's just unbelievable. We're real dinosaurs. But, <laughs> but in any event, we discovered these websites that, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of flaky idiots. Who pays attention? And then uh, we hired one of those young kids to be a, a social media whiz for us as well. You know, there are websites out there that rank these websites. Uh, like uh, Google is number one, Facebook's number two, and that's according to Alexa, which is used by a lot of advertising agencies. And to our astonishment, uh, people like Alex Linder, who calls for the total extinction of any Jew, is like right up there in the first and top one percent. You know, there are roughly 600 million websites in the world, about 180 million active websites. And he's at ranked at, at that time, he keeps changing, he's ranked at about 140,000 out of 180 million active websites. That tells you the kind of following a man like that has. Did you, did you ever feel threatened there? Uh, actually, I was worried in the beginning approaching them because I know they got some extremely mean people, but I detected very fast they're much more scared of me than I was of them. They're very frightened. Every one of them lives in these small towns. Everyone said to me, I'll only meet you in a public place because they were really frightened of uh, Mossad, Jews with guns and all that. And, and, and I'll meet you in a public place. And I said, sure, no problems. Have you sort of charted how much more powerful these guys have gotten? Because you look at a, guys like that, and, and they would have been really marginal if they were you know, handing out pamphlets or, or something like that. Well, that's the whole point. You know, you go back to the 60s and 70s, these marches of uh, neo-Nazis in Skokie, in Chicago. I mean, how much trouble did it cause? Or somebody puts up a placard. It was really minor, but now the statistics speak for themselves. These guys have got millions and millions of hits. And actually, the best, the biggest, this is Jews for you, the biggest blogger, one of the most successful I've seen anywhere, is a Jew out of Winnipeg, Henry Mako. HenryMako.com is not ranked at 120,000, 130,000. He's ranked at 60,000. He's like in the top 0.3%. And he is a Jew, but he says, I'm not an anti-Semite because I think Jews are duped, that Judaism is a satanic religion that uh, dominates the whole world and manipulates the whole world through Salik cults and the protocols of Zion is true and Jews just don't wake up to it. How do they get away with saying these things? Well, it's interesting. In the United States, you can say anything. I mean, Alex Linder <coughs> can say what he says. If Alex Linder was, goes to Germany or goes to Britain, or goes, he's straight into jail and maybe for several good years. He won't go. He knows it. Uh, in Canada, he'll go to jail too. The best antidote to all this stuff is awareness. You're not going to stop people from saying these things. And you're not going to stop people from 
making crazy claims, but awareness and what it is is the best antidote to all this. And uh, that's something I'm trying to do here as well, is that people have to be aware of it. Many people don't think this exists. You can catch the first episode of Jew Bashing, the New Anti-Semitism, tomorrow night, Monday, May 6th at 9 p.m. on Vision TV. I'm Louise Neimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. An art modern landmark is celebrating the 10th anniversary of its new life. In just a moment, we'll return to find out a bit more about the Carlou. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Fly me to the moon, let me play. Among the stars. Frank Sinatra is just one of the greats who graced the stage of the storied concert hall at the Carlou. Back in the day, it had the best acoustics in North America, and its restaurant was the destination for the ladies who lunched in Toronto of a bygone era. Ten years ago, two young men restored this historic landmark, bringing back its famous art modern fountain and long lost murals and making it the party destination for a new generation. I sat down with one of the owners, Mark Robert. Mark Robert, great to see you here. Thanks. Thanks very much, Libby. You're celebrating your 10th anniversary, the 10th anniversary of your restoration and renovation of the historically significant and wonderful Carlou. Well, thank you very much. We were the uh, only people to have privately restored a National Historic Site in North America, and it was a pretty big deal. Refresh our memories. Tell us a little bit about it. This is an art moderne, art deco jewel from the 30s. The story is that Jacques Carlou, who was the architect, who was amongst the finest architects in the world dealing in this style, had uh, designed in part the Ile-de-France ocean liner. He had designed its ballroom and as well as the Normandy ocean liners. And these were considered two of the finest liners in its day. And Lady Eaton, the Ile-de-France was her favorite ocean liner. And so she was doing uh, a transatlantic crossing, which she has certainly done uh, any number of times. And her husband had allegedly asked her what she wanted for her birthday, and she said that she wanted this ballroom. So they had uh, then gone out to hire its architect, Jacques Carlou, to design the seventh floor of the Eaton's flagship store in Toronto at College and Young. And uh, had done the round room restaurant, which is where the ladies that did lunch in its day did lunch, as well as doing the concert hall, which became known as the as having the finest acoustics of any concert hall in North America, which was uh, that claim was made by Glenn Gould, who had ended up recording 17 of his albums in our concert hall because it did have such fine acoustics. What were some of the things that would have taken place there? It did operate as an Eaton's department store, and so the in the in the concert hall, it, there was uh, there were a lot of concerts there. I mean, everybody from Billie Holiday to Frank Sinatra, as well as of course Glenn Gould. And uh, the first National Ballet of Canada performance was on our stage in 1950. So it was it was you know it was a major part of of Toronto's cultural life in that day. And then, of course, the Round Room restaurant did operate. I mean, all these great department stores had a terrific restaurant that was part of it. This restaurant really was one of the fine restaurants in its day. 
it's a beautiful piece of architecture. You know, it, it is, of course, a round room with its domed ceiling centered with a Lalique light fixture and an original Lalique fountain in the middle, surrounded by a mural that was painted by Jacques Carlu's wife, Natasha. And the four panels of the mural were meant to uh, indicate the four major regions of Canada. And how many events do you have there a year? And what type of, of events are they? We probably do about 125 events a year, but, but that ranges from a 10-person breakfast meeting to a four-day business conference. You know, we often are having, uh, you know, 250-person dinners. We do a lot of awards dinners uh, and a lot of charity galas. I mean, there's, there's uh, somebody had told me that Toronto has more special events per person than anywhere else in the world. And certainly with the level of business that we're seeing at the Carlew, I would believe that because, there's, you know, there's a lot going on. What do you hope for the next 10 years? Well, I think our big challenge is, uh, is growth opportunities. And I think that there's a, some, uh, some great heritage properties in Toronto that could do with uh, a higher level of management, can do with uh, an investment that uh, consistent with the type of investment that we put in the Carlu. So we're hopeful to uh, secure some of these growth opportunities. Then, of course, we're, uh, we're still excited about the Carlu and what we're doing there. Okay. Thanks so much and congratulations. Thanks very much, Libby. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Where have all the flowers gone? That's Pete Seeger, an uber-Zoomer who's still a strong voice in the music community. In just a moment, we'll return with a celebration for his 94th birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Christopher Lloyd is back on Broadway. You'll remember him from the Back to the Future movies and TV's Taxi. Now the 74-year-old actor stars in the Caucasian Chalk Circle, Bertolt Brecht's play from 1945 about civil unrest in a war-torn country. It's presented by the classic stage company on East 13th Street. To Los Angeles, where a special exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art showcases significant works from MOCA's collection from the 1940s to the present. Historical movements such as abstract expressionism, minimalism, pop art, conceptual art, and postmodernism, as well as works by L.A.-based artists, are represented. In London, England, the Billie Holiday story stars actress, singer, and writer Nina Christofferson. The engagement at London's Charing Cross Theatre follows a tour of the UK last year and a sellout run at the Edinburgh Festival in 2011. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Where have all the flowers gone? This Friday, folk singer Pete Seeger celebrated his 94th birthday. The man is truly a living legend. He still performs, and in 2006, he was at Idea City. Seeger was a founding member of the Almanac Singers, a protest group that would later include Woody Guthrie. Throughout the 40s, he became increasingly passionate about politics, and was very vocal about his left-leaning views. In the 50s, he created another group, the Weavers, that continued the Almanac Singers' tradition of spirited protest songs. That brought them to Joe McCarthy's attention, and Seeger and the Weavers were blacklisted 
and no longer played on national radio. On August 18, 1955, Seeger was subpoenaed to testify before the House Un-American Activities Committee. He refused to plead the fifth, which resulted in an indictment for contempt of Congress. A jury convicted him in March 1961, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But in May 1962, an appeals court ruled the indictment was flawed and overturned his conviction. Seeger was free to continue life as an outspoken folk singer. Throughout the 60s and 70s, he sang out against the Vietnam War, for environmentalism and for equal rights. Many of Seeger's songs reached the top of the charts after they were covered by other artists. Perhaps the best example of this is Turn, 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 a piece Seeger adapted from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It was covered by the birds who took it to the top of the billboard charts. But there is still something very charming about the Seeger original. To everything turn, 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 there is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to everything turn 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 there is a season turn 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 and a time for every purpose under heaven a time to build up a time to break down a time to dance a time to mourn a time to cast away stones a time to gather Stones together to everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. That was Pete Seeger with Turn, Turn, Turn. Seeger celebrated his 94th birthday on Friday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week when we find out all about the secrets to proper etiquette and entertaining, courtesy of Charles McPherson, author of The Butler Speaks. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.